All right, all right. How are we all doing? We're good, we're good. Man, it's an honor to be here amongst old friends. Tim Motta, where are you on stage? Man, I respect any man who looks that good in a mustache. Yeah, for those, uh, side note, uh, growing a mustache is a great hobby for people who don't have time for hobbies. And uh, for me, it's not so much a hobby, more of a, a failure in personal hygiene, but that's another note. But, you know, it's great to be here. Yeah, so as um, uh, Pastor John said, uh, my name's Ed. Uh, I'm here with my beautiful wife of nine years, Destiny. Can we give her a hand? Just for looking beautiful. Um, yeah, and so uh, I am on team back in Auckland. Uh, I lead our city campus. And um, I've been a part of our church in Auckland since I was saved, which was uh, 16 years ago. Uh, the only church I've ever been a part of. It's home. I love it. And I love the, part that, the, the fact that we're a part of a, a global family. Uh, you know, we can come to, to the central coast and still be with family here. And uh, so it's an honor to be with you today. Uh, today, I, I have faith. I've got faith uh, for this morning. I believe that every single person in this room is going to walk out of this place with a word from God. Uh, you're going to walk out of this place encouraged, inspired. Maybe this whole church thing is new to you. I, I believe that you're going to leave this place uh, with a greater understanding of who we are and why we love Jesus so much. I believe that you're gonna, your life is going to be changed. This morning is a significant Morning. Are we expecting this morning? Awesome, awesome. Well, uh, this morning's word, I believe it's a great word, especially heading into a new year. Uh, it's great to go in uh, with a word like this. And really, the, the word is simple. Uh, this morning, we're going to be building on the statement, winning is finishing well. Winning is finishing well. Well, if you got your Bible, won't you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12? Hebrews chapter 12. If you don't know where it is, just go to the middle and turn right. Hebrews chapter 12, uh, reading from verse 1. Here we go. Therefore, everyone say therefore. Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, have, not yet, have you not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin? And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who was never disciplined by his father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers, who disciplined us, 
Shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the Father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they know how. But God's discipline is always good so that we might share in His holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we acknowledge your presence here this morning. And Lord, we make room for you to move. We give you permission to do everything you came here to do this morning. Speak to us, Lord. We're listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, I was 18 and coming to the end of high school when a friend of me approached, uh, approached me at school excited. Uh, he had this look on his face. He said, uh, I figured out how we can earn some easy money. Right, red flags. Red flags. And naturally, he had my attention. Two words, he said. Apple picking. Apple picking. Now, now you've got to understand, I was raised in central Auckland City. I never realized we grew apples in New Zealand. And so I signed up. Uh, we came up with a plan. After our exams, we'd, we'd head down to uh, the east coast of New Zealand. We'd spend three weeks working on an orchard and, and raise enough money to, to last us the first semester at university. And, and we got down there. It was great. I mean, the sun was out. It was the peak of summer. The sun was shining out over the orchards. As I was picking apples, I'd grab one for myself and bite into it. Uh, these apples, they were like the, the apples you see on the movies, you know, bright red. And the inside was, was wide and juicy. And, and you know, we, uh, we got to the end of the, the day and I was tired, but, you know, I was, I was satisfied. We had a great day. Anyway, we went to sleep, woke up the next day and it had been raining. Uh, we got to the orchard and uh, the trees were wet. The orchard was muddy. And by the end of the second day, I was knackered. My, my, my arms were sore. My body was aching. And I kid you not, by the end of the third day, I was literally dreaming about apples. I mean, it was freaky. There was like carnival music and a, a monkey clanging cymbals, a cackling old lady in the background. You know, what, what started out as a, a three-week trip to save enough money for our first semester at university. It ended up being a, a three-day holiday where we spent more than we earned. And so that quickly ended. And, uh, you know, you can, you can go ahead and judge, right? But, but there's not a single person in the room this morning who hasn't been tempted to give up from time to time. And, and for many of us, the temptation gets the better of us, whether it's a, a fast, a gym membership, or apple picking. You know, we're all tempted to quit. Even when we know it's good for us, it can be hard to, to keep going. In fact, it was uh, a couple of years ago now that our church organized a, a church-wide fun run. I don't know if you do those here in the United States. I don't know why they put the word fun and run together. They're still working that one out. But, but uh, you know, I, I turned up on the day. It was a beautiful day. I went down and signed up at the table, uh, signed up for the 10-kilometer race which was the, you know, that was the highlight of the day. And so I went down to the starting line and, and did my stretches, my warm-ups, started eyeing up the competition, eyeballing them, steering them down. And uh, the whistle blew. We started the race, and it was only then that it dawned on me that 
this is the first time you've ever run 10 kilometers in your life. Right? But, you know, for the first 10 minutes, I thought, yeah, I got this. I got this. And, you know, it was actually a really enjoyable experience. I mean, the, 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 the wind was blowing in the, over the, the Manukau Harbor. There's a cool sea breeze. The sun was rising. You could hear the sound of seagulls and the faint sound of children laughing in the distance. You know, every now and then I'd, I'd jog past a, a friendly jogger and I'd offer them a warm, friendly, good morning. But it was at about 10 minutes that everything began to change. And shortly after, I began to struggle. All of a sudden, I was, I was struggling to find oxygen in the air. You know, I had nothing to offer the other joggers other than a grunt as I trudged past them, staring at my feet. And, you know, all of a sudden, my goal changed from trying to get across the finish line to survival. Right? I wanted to live and not die. And, uh, you know, I know many people will ask, why put yourself through something like that? I mean, what would possess you? As the saying goes, no pain, no pain, right? Why, why would you do that to yourself? And, 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 you know, it's always great when you start out. You know, it's, but you're going to get to a point where it isn't fun anymore, where it isn't as, as glamorous, as exciting as it was at the beginning. But, but, you know, that doesn't mean it's a reason to quit. You know, who, who knows people who, when they get bored or when they stop having fun, they, they kind of morph into this bored stature. Anyone know someone like that? I'm bored. You know, you know someone like that? Maybe parents or children. I don't know. Maybe don't, don't look at the person next to you. Word of advice. You know, uh, here's, a, here's a, my theory on the subject. This is my theory, personal theory. Uh, I believe that people get bored because they're boring, right? If you're bored, it's your own problem, right? Because fun people have a way of creating their own fun. Man, fun adventure is a way of following fun people around. My wife always comes home with the, the craziest stories from work. Why? Because fun people create their own fun. Things aren't always going to be as exciting and as glamorous as they were at the beginning, but that doesn't mean it's a reason to quit. No. Why? Because it's not how we start, it's how we finish. So we, we read uh, verses like, like Hebrews 12, and we think of a, an Olympic race we see on TV, right? where, where races are competing against other races to win the prize. You know, we, we, we quote 1 Corinthians and say, we run to win thinking, I, I win if I come first, or I win if I beat my competition. I win if I'm the fastest. I win if I, uh, I'm the strongest. I win if I can last the longest. I win if I'm the wealthiest. I win if I'm the most successful. I win if I'm the prettiest. I win if I'm the most popular. I win if I have the most friends. If that's the case, you need to reconsider your definition of winning. Why? Because winning is finishing well. Winning is finishing well. Paul tells us that anyone who compares themselves is unwise. Do you know, it's unwise to compare yourself because your only competition is you. You are your only competition. You know, some of us are, are too preoccupied by what other people are doing. We gauge our success on the success of other people. You know, it's not about having the gold medal around your neck as you stand on the podium at the end of the race. No, it's about finishing the race and finishing well. Do you know, I want my love for Jesus 
to be greater at the end of my life than it is right now. I want to be more loving at the end of my life than I am right now. I want to be more patient at the end of my life than I am right now. I want to be more kind at the end of my life than I am right now. Why? Because my only competition is me. Now, remember that time you couldn't, you couldn't wait to open your Bible. Remember that time that, that you would spontaneously, spontaneously start talking to God, not because you had to, but because you love Him. Remember that time where, where you couldn't help but tell people about the amazing things God is doing in your life. You know, this race that we're all in, it isn't a sprint race. It's an endurance race. The real question is, is, is will you still be following in 10, 20, 30 years' time? Will you still be as passionate when you're 50, 60, 70 years old? See, we are all in a race, but the challenge in any race is don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up pursuing. Don't give up following. Don't give up living by faith. And you know, we're all going to have those days. And you know, those days. It happens to all of us. You know, days we struggle with boredom, days where we're distracted, days where we're discouraged, days where we're tired. Days where we're lonely, days where we're guilty, days where we sin. Man, we're all going to have those days. You should have seen me on the, on, at the end of the first day of our fast in Auckland. Man, I was literally every single one of those things. You know, we all struggle. We all have the, those days. But Galatians 6.9 says, Don't grow weary in doing good, for in due time you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. Do you know, many of us spend our entire lives sowing seeds only to walk away just before we reap a harvest. Don't walk away. Don't give up. You will see the fruit of your labor if you don't give up. Man, how amazing is church? Church is incredible. Seriously. Yeah, yeah let's, let's give church a hand. Man, church is incredible. Friendships that span decades. Church is a beautiful thing. Do you know, this is an amazing church, but it is far from perfect. Right? You might love it now. Ha-ha. But there is going to come a time where you're going to be offended. It's going to happen. You know, there's going to come a time where you're going to be challenged. But the question is, what are you going to do when that time comes? What are you going to do? See, for me, church is home. Church is home before it's a ministry responsibility. You know, people are going to bug me. They're going to irritate me. People are even going to hurt me. But this is family, right? This isn't some, some organizational ladder to climb or some social service provider. This isn't some event coordinating service. No, this is family. We are in this together. You know, the Bible says that it's people who plant themselves that flourish. Psalm 92, if you plant yourself in the house of God, you will flourish, bearing fruit even in old age. But for many people here, you think you're planted. But really, you're in a pot. You know, but when the heat comes, yeah, you might be able to pick yourself up and move on. 
But there's going to be a limit to what you can do. There's only going to be so far you can go in life. But if you were to take yourself and plant yourself in good soil, allow your roots to grow deep, intertwining with the roots of the trees around you, it's then that you'll grow. It's then that you'll fulfill your potential. It's then that you'll flourish and be everything that God's called you to be. Don't give up. He is faithful. You know, Paul says that that I am certain that God who began a good work will continue this work until it is finally finished. He will finish what he started. Isn't that encouraging this morning? I just want to get real with you for a moment this morning. And, and, uh, you know, it it was around two years ago that I was struggling with thoughts of giving up. Uh, you know, it, was a, it wasn't a, a crisis of faith, but more a, a crisis of calling. Uh, it was a, a difficult season for us as a couple, and, and I'd recently stepped into a new role, and I was finding it difficult. You know, I was beginning to have serious doubts. You know, maybe I'd made a mistake. Maybe I was the wrong person for this job. You know, maybe there's someone else who can, who can do it better, and I eventually told myself, I can't do this. I am the wrong person. My confidence had gone, and and as a result, I I, I was struggling to find any fulfillment in what I was doing. You know, then I I met up with a friend, and uh, I was chatting to him, opening up, and blessing him. He tried to encourage me, but I don't think it was really that helpful. He, He asked me a question. Is it really worth it? Is it really worth it? And I responded, yes, of course. Because right? that's, that's the answer I'm supposed to have. But I went away wondering. I began to reconsider. Is it really worth it? And then I asked myself, what is possibly the, the most dangerous question you could ask yourself if you're ever in a situation like this? What if? What if? What if I had said no? What if I had made a different decision? What if I had chosen a different path? I mean, maybe it would be easier if I just changed. Maybe it would be easier if I just walked away. I mean, I'd still be a good person, right? I'd still live a good life. But maybe it's time to pull back a little bit, play it safe. You know, I found a, maybe it's time for me to find a a nice, easy, secure job. and, And I found myself in this place of indecision. I was undecided, you know. If I could give some advice to anyone who's ever found themselves in a place of indecision, don't stay there too long. Don't stay there too long. You know, the Bible says that an undecided person is unstable in all their ways. All of a sudden, this indecision was beginning to leave my life unstable. It was affecting everything. It affected my marriage, my friendships. I was struggling with depression. I was struggling to find joy in everything that I was doing. You know, when you're, when you're undecided, it can be difficult to get excited about what the future could look like because, to be honest, you don't really have any idea what it could look like. You have no vision. There's no prospects, no possibilities. And then it, it was during a service, not unlike this one, that I heard God speak. That's why it's so important that we gather together in God's house because it's in this space that He speaks. And he drew me to Hebrews 12. Set your eyes on Jesus, the author 
and perfecter of your faith. And I realized that in that moment, the root of my problem was that it was all about me. It was all about me. And so I made a decision to take my eyes off my own inadequacy and to set my focus on God's sufficiency. And it was in that moment that everything began to change. Now, I'm not going to lie. It wasn't this, this instantaneous transformation. But it was the beginning of a journey. God began to restore me. He began to remind me of who I am. He began to remind me of the call that I received, the promises that He has for me. You know, from, from that moment to now, I have never been more satisfied in what I'm doing now. I've never found more joy in the life that I'm living. Do you know, the context of this passage that we're reading from today is persecution. You know, these, these, these people are having their businesses taken from them. I mean, they've been forced out of their homes. They've been beaten and oppressed, separated from their families, hearing news that, 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 uh, that other believers are being killed and martyred. And they're left wondering, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it? I mean, these believers are tempted to quit, to stop, to pull back, to temper their passion, to stop being vocal, to fit in. And not step out. Now, if you've ever felt like quitting, this letter's for you. This is for you. Now, many of us take comfort in Romans 8.28 where, where uh, you know, the Bible says that God works all things together for good. For those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And, and many of us think of the Disney swirl. Anyone know the Disney swirl? That moment in the movie where, where everything turns around. All the bad things that happen at the start of the movie, all of a sudden they become good. You know what I'm talking about? Ah, uh, ah. Uh, you know that moment in the movie? Right? The reality is it takes time. You know, God's working all things together for good, but there's a, a process at play. And throughout the process, we need to learn how to trust Jesus. Trust Jesus. Charles Blondin, I know some of you here might have heard of him. He was an acrobat and a tightrope walker. And uh, he, he traveled and performed with various troops throughout Europe and North America. And uh, he was a talented man. But his greatest fame came in 1860 when he walked 180 feet in the air across the Niagara Falls. Right? News had spread and uh, people began to gather from far and wide and a, and a crowd formed to watch him that day. And he, he, he crossed the falls several times that day, each in a new daring and death-defying way. I mean, he crossed once uh, on stilts, in the dark, blindfolded. Actually, one time they record that he walked across the tightrope carrying an oven on his back, sat on the middle of the tightrope, cooked himself an omelette and ate it. All right, this guy is wild, and, and, and after crossing the falls several times that day, the crowd began to grow quite large. And so he, he, he stood on the edge of the, the cliff and addressed the crowd. Who believes that I can push a man across this tightrope in a wheelbarrow? Now the crowd erupted. You're the greatest tightrope walker in the world. We believe. And so he asked another question. 
great. Who wants to get in the wheelbarrow? To which no one responded. The crowd went silent, and that was the end of Blondin's performance that day. Now, nearly everyone here wants to look more like Jesus. And I'm willing to bet that every single person in the room wants to grow. We want to be stronger and better off tomorrow than we are today. We all want to move forward. We, we say things to Jesus like, make me more like you. Make me more generous, more loving, more kind. And Jesus says, awesome. Get in the wheelbarrow. Get in the wheelbarrow. Now, when it comes to trusting Jesus, we see the good in it. We understand that it's good. But we aren't willing to trust Jesus with our lives in his hands. You know, we, we like the idea of it, but the reality is something different. Now, I know there's many people here are trusting God for a home, right? But you aren't willing to trust him with your finances to the point where you're willing to tithe. There's many people here who want a great relationship with your parents, but you still haven't brought yourself to a point where you can forgive them. There's many people who want many things, but you're not willing to trust Jesus throughout the process. See, the Bible says that we are more than conquerors, but you're not going to be a conqueror without something to conquer. Why? Because the, challenge, because the change is going to require challenge. Growth is going to require a grind. The, the, the process is going to involve some pain. But all the while, we've got to keep in mind and remember as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4.17, our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vast outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that we cannot, cannot be seen. For the things we can see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever will last forever. Now, we're all in a race, the race of our lives. But just before I finish, if we're going to finish this race that we've started, the first thing is we need to get in shape. We need to get in shape. Now, the writer of Hebrews says that we need to lay aside every encumbrance. Every encumbrance. What is an encumbrance? An encumbrance is simply something that weighs you down, slows you down. You know, in researching for this message, I discovered that, that ancient Olympic athletes would train and compete naked. Naked, man, that's a sight. Wow, man, I'm really grateful that we don't see uh, marathon runners in the New York Marathon running through the streets of Manhattan naked. No, no, today they, they wear lightweight running shoes and shorts and, and lightweight singlets. Why? Because they don't want to be weighed down in their chase, in their run, in their race. Now, encumbrance are things, these aren't necessarily bad for you, but they're not good for you either. Do you know, if you're going to do great things in life, there are some things you're going to have to lay down. There's some things you're going to have to let go of. I can't tell you what they are, but you know. You know, for many of us, there might be hobbies, maybe relationships, maybe things that are vying for your attention and drawing you away from Jesus. So we need to lay aside every encumbrance. The, the second thing is we need to lay aside every sin. Every sin. Now, sin is simply all those things that entangle you and trip you up. 
Sin is simply this, falling short of God's perfect plan, missing the mark. Now, the Bible tells us that we are all sinners. We're all sinful by nature. And often it can feel like this never-ending battle, like I've gone through the same cycle over and over again, like, like, it's, like you're holding a beach ball under the water. You know, sometimes it's easier just to let it go. You know, I've heard sin is, is a lot like a mouse in a glass box with a snake sleeping on a bed of sawdust. Now, the mouse, he knows that he's, he's a goner. He's toast, right? So he does what any of us do in desperate situations. He comes up with a plan. He turns around, and using his back legs, he, he begins to flick sawdust onto the snake. You know, he keeps doing it until the, the, the snake's covered, now, no matter how hard we try to cover or deny our sinful nature, it's fool's work. You know, it's just a matter of time before sin awakes and shakes off its cover. The moment Jesus gave his life on the cross, the power of sin was broken. And real change only begins when we reach out to him for help. And we allow him to lift us up out of our own glass box. If we're going to win this race, we need to get in shape, lay aside every encumbrance, lay aside every sin. Secondly, we need to stay the course. We need to stay the course. You know, I believe that the most defining question in life is, will you last? Will you last? He changes not fast, it's steady. Initially, it goes unnoticed, but if you would stay your course You'll, you'll, you'll see the things that you've been believing for. Do you know the word discipline is mentioned 10 times in this passage? Right? That's a lot. I'm going to invite a, a couple of people on a stage. Um, uh, Pastor John, if you want to join me on stage. And, and Mez, do you want to come up and join me on stage? Come on, man. Come on. Let's give Mez a hand as he comes up. Sorry, buddy. You're like the first person I saw. You're a legend. Man, that's awesome. Awesome. Hey, Miz, do you want to jump down that end? And, uh, and John, do you want to stay on that end? Awesome. Do you know, many of us, we, we associate discipline with punishment. When we think of discipline, we think we're being punished. And if, if you think that God's punishing you, then you need, you need to get a greater understanding of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Right? He died. He was punished so that we wouldn't have to be. Now, punishment looks back. Discipline looks forward. Right? We have the, the before shot right here, Pastor John, and the after shot, Mez. Man, one day we'll all look like Mez. Man. You know, punishment looks back. It draws me to who I used to be, the life I used to live, the things I used to do. Discipline draws me forward to who I can be, my potential. You know, punishment is, it involves guilt and shame, but, but discipline is redemptive. It, res, it restores me. You know, many of us, we're, we're focused on who we used to be, not realizing that God's calling us to something else. Now, a lot of us, we're, we're moving forward in life, but we're looking backwards, right? We, we got that promotion at work. We're moving forward. We, we bought our first home. We just proposed got married, had a family, but we're still looking at who we used to be. We're still preoccupied 
with our past. And although we might be moving forward, it's just a matter of time before we trip and fall over. But if we were to focus on who we are called to be, if we were to focus on who God said we are, it's only then that we're going to step into our future and our destiny. Come on, can we give these guys a hand as they make their way off stage? Miz, you're a legend, man. So discipline is like training. It brings the best out of us. Do you know why he disciplines us? Because he believes in us. Because he has a plan and a purpose for us. Tom Landry, uh, coach of the Dallas Cowboys, uh, a former coach, is recorded as saying this, my job is to make these young men do what they don't want to do in order to help them become the men they have always wanted to be. We need to stay the course. And finally, we need to focus on the prize. I'm going to invite the band up on stage. You know, who, who knows uh, um, what an egg and spoon race is? Do you guys have egg and spoon races here? And yeah, a few nods, egg and spoon race. We have them in New Zealand. Now, rules are pretty simple. You hold a spoon, you balance an egg on it, and, and you race, right? The, the, the winner is the person who crosses the line first with the egg still on the spoon. Simple, right? But we all know those kids, right? We all know those kids who they don't quite get the game. As soon as the race begins, they just take off, drop the egg as soon as they start running. They get across the line first. But, you know, sometimes what good is it is crossing the finish line if you've dropped the egg along the way? You know, sometimes we get so preoccupied by our own success that we lose sight of what matters most, our relationship with Jesus. And we lose it along the way. See, Brian Houston, he says, uh, sometimes what God is calling us to do can distract us from what God is calling us to do. Yeah, sometimes we get so preoccupied with, with running to win the prize that we can forget the fact that the prize has been with us the whole time. Now, getting in shape is a necessary part of the process. Laying aside encumbrances, sins, all that, it's a necessary part of the process. But, but power isn't in getting in shape. No, power is in where you're looking. See, getting in shape without focusing on Jesus is just self-improvement. You, know, you may as well be at a Tony Robbins seminar, not in church. The power is in where you're focusing. Power comes when we focus on Jesus. Why? Because He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He is the author. He initiates it. He is the perfecter. He completes it. But this requires we take our eyes off ourselves, off our own inadequacies, and we set our focus on Him. That's why we sing Look to Jesus songs. That's why we have Look to Jesus meetings on a Sunday. That's why it's so important you have a look to Jesus devotional life. Because that's where the power is. If I could leave you with one thought, it's this. Focus on the prize. Focus on the prize. Why? Because He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Through Him, everything lives and moves and has its being. And when we look to Him, we find encouragement in the fact that He's already done it. He's been there. He's walked this road. 
He's been down that path. Now, I know a lot of people here would struggle with the fact that God would allow such bad things to happen in life. You know, logic aside, they philosophically refuse to believe in a God that would allow the presence of evil and suffering in this world. But just because you can't see a good reason for God to allow something to happen doesn't mean there isn't one. Tim Keller says this. He says, if you have a God great and transcendent enough to be mad at because he hasn't stopped evil and suffering in the world, then just maybe you might have a God great and transcendent enough to have a good reason for allowing it to continue. Now, I'm not grateful for all the the challenges and the hardships I've faced, faced in life. In no way would I trade the insight, the character, and the strength that I've gained as a result. Many of us would have to agree that what we've truly needed for success in life actually came to us through our most painful and challenging experiences. Now, you might be saying, Ed, you can't even begin to understand the things that I've been through. There's no way God can get himself off the hook for what I've experienced. And you're right, I, I don't understand. But one thing I do know is that Jesus does. And he came to earth for the very reason of putting himself on the cross, on the hook of what you've experienced. He came and experienced everything we have. Now, now why would God allow evil and suffering to continue? You know, we don't always know what the, the answer is, but we do know what it isn't. It isn't that he doesn't love us. It isn't that he's indifferent to the things that we're facing. You know, although Christianity doesn't always provide the answers for everything we face, it does provide you with the deepest resource to face it with hope and courage. Because we know that with time, God will work all things together for good. And as we hold on to our faith in Jesus in time, you know, our life begins to overflow. You know, it begins to produce fruit, strength, patience, character, credibility compassion, kindness, beauty, depth, generosity, self-control, wisdom, authority. So what do we need to do? Don't give up. Don't give up. I just want to create an opportunity for, for people to respond this morning. And maybe you want to jump to your feet this morning. If you can uh, stand to your feet. I get a sense that the Spirit of God is in this place. And He wants to speak this morning. If you're, if you're struggling this morning, if you're confused, maybe 2018 has been a challenging year, I can tell you that 2019 is going to be better. There is hope. Why? Because God is working all things together for good. Maybe you want to close your eyes. and If you're responding this morning, lift your hands and allow the Holy Spirit to to move. Lord, I pray for every person here this morning, every person struggling, every person needing a word from you. Holy Spirit, we give you room to move. Pour your Spirit out over this place. Bring life, bring hope, bring courage. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. While everyone 
in this moment a response. I want to speak to, to every person in this place who doesn't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. This morning, I want to tell you that you're not here by chance. You're here for a reason. Why? Because there is more to this life than this life. I want to tell you this morning that God is real. He loves you. And He has a plan for your life. To bring hope, to bring freedom. To set you free. The the Bible says that every one of us is lost. But in Jesus, we are found. So this morning, if you want to respond to the greatest invitation in the world, an invitation into a relationship with Jesus, the creator of everything we see, everything we can't see, God of heaven and earth, this morning, while everyone has their eyes closed and head bowed, on the count of three, I'm going to get you to lift your hand. I'll acknowledge your hand. You can put it down. Then we're going to pray a simple prayer inviting Jesus into your heart. So if that's you and you're ready to respond this morning on the count of three, lift your hand. One, two, three. Come on, if that's you, why don't you lift your hand? I see your hand in the middle there. That is awesome. That is awesome. How many others are ready to respond this morning? Give me a wave. I'll acknowledge it. You can put your hand down, then we'll pray together. I don't want to stretch this out too long, but I want to make sure everyone has an opportunity to respond this morning. That is awesome. That is awesome. Hey, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to pray a prayer together. And, and uh, I'll pray a line. You can pray after me. Uh, so here we go. Dear God, I thank you that you sent your son from heaven to earth to die on a cross, paying the price for all the wrong things that I've done. Jesus, I invite you into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Today, I choose to follow you. And I thank you that I'm now a child of the King. In Jesus' name, when everyone said, Amen. Come on, can we give Jesus?